13, verse 12. While you're turning there, I wanted to make this known to our church family. I think it's important. Uh, we have one of our teens, uh, Nikki Price, the daughter of Toby and Marcia, who's going on a short-term missions trip this summer. And uh, she needs a, about $300 to, to get there and to have that experience. And I just think, you know, this is one of those things that I just feel like as the pastor, I need to make that need known to our church family. I believe that there's some of you out there that you would go, I want to be a part in helping Nikki experience that short-term missions. I mean, to have a teenager who wants to do that, I think it's great. And I think as a church family, we need to rally around her and support her. If you would like information on what she's doing, where she's going and all of that, Marsha will be glad to talk with you. She's got literature for that. Nikki's also willing to do like a garage sale and bake sale and lemonade and all of that. So if you're even interested in maybe giving her some stuff to sell in the yard sale to help her get there, if you'd be willing to bake something like brownies. No, no, I'm just teasing. It's not for me. Okay. Uh, but willing to bake something and, and make that a part of it as well to help her. I know that she would greatly appreciate that. So anyway, I wanted to let our church family know about that. And also, I, I just have to thank you guys. Um, Sunday, I, I just, I, I have to say this. Sunday, I went home to, to my wife, Lisa, and I, I, I was honestly feeling bad about the message Sunday. Um, I never want to stop speaking the truth. <laughs> but I don't want to come across harsh to my sheep. I want you to know that anything and everything that I say, I say out of love. And I know I had to say some hard things. You know, spiritual growth is hard. And yet I want to say to you guys, thank you for being willing to be part of a church that focuses on spiritual growth. It's not easy. Thank you for wanting to be here, wanting to study the Word, wanting to be stretched. Um, I think it's great, and I want you to hear from me how much I appreciate it and how much your attendance, even, continues to fuel my study to get in there and, and do the work and the study that I need to do in order to share God's Word with you. So I just want to say thank you guys for that. We're looking here in John 17, actually, at the prayer of Jesus. Jesus' last words really are a prayer. And in this prayer, what we are discovering are the things that are close to the heart of Jesus. These are the things that Jesus, right before he really goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, the more famous prayer where he's in the garden struggling with the idea that he and the Father are going to be separated because he's going to take the sin of the world on himself and all of that, that that prayer's a little bit more well-known, and, and then he's going to be arrested, and pretty soon he's going to be hanging on the cross. Yet there's this prayer as well. And he's praying this prayer on purpose within the hearing of the disciples. He wants the disciples to hear what he's praying, because he wants them to know what he's praying. 
He wants them to have his words make an impact on their lives. And he's also obviously then one day going to uh, obviously want the Holy Spirit to inspire John to write this prayer down so that we benefit from these words as well. And so tonight, I hope that you will be greatly encouraged by listening to the prayer of Jesus. As we begin tonight in verse 12, yes, specifically, technically, he's talking about the disciples. But there is much that can be applied to us. And then when we get down to verse 20, that's actually a portion of scripture that's really cool to me because that's actually where we actually see ourselves in scripture. When Jesus begins to pray for future believers. Well, if you're here tonight and you're a believer, then he starts praying for you and I in verse 20. But before we get to that, notice in verse 12, once again, Jesus is reminding them of his loving care for them. He says, when I was with them, Father, I kept them safe. We live in a world that's all about security today. Wanting security, wanting to feel secure. Jesus is praying to the Father and he's he's saying to the Father, again, within earshot of the disciples, while I had them, I watched over them. Remember the, the metaphor of Jesus as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. In fact, we're going to go there in just a minute, but where Jesus talks about, I'm the good shepherd and these are my sheep. And a good shepherd watches out, looks after their sheep. And Jesus is saying, my sheep should always feel secure. They should always know they're secure because I, the Lord, am watching out for them. I'm observing everything they do. I will take care of them. And then he goes on to say, and watch over them in your name. The word watch there means to guard, to protect, to keep an eye on. Jesus the shepherd keeps an eye on his sheep. There's not a thing that happens to us or that we go through that our shepherd is not intimately acquainted with what we're going through and feels what we're going through. And he's simply saying, I want my sheep to know that they are secure because I'll take good care of them. Later on, he's going to pass, in a sense, the care of his sheep when he goes back to the father, to the father, when he says, Father, now you keep them in, in your name. And all the while, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is watching out over believers. He was watching out over the disciples. He's watching out over you tonight. And Jesus wants you to know tonight that as your shepherd, if you can pray that same prayer that David prayed and and wrote down and sang in Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd, if you can say that, then you've got to know that your shepherd is watching over you and taking great care. He is a good shepherd. In fact, go back with me just a few pages to the Gospel of John chapter 10. If I can separate my pages, I'll get there eventually. One more. Look at verse 27 of John 10. Talk about security. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Now keep that word in mind because that word's going to come into play here in just a moment with what Jesus says back in John 17. No one will snatch them from my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them from my father's hand either. 
So Jesus there, even back in that great passage, John 10, about the shepherd, is sort of reemphasizing that over in John 17 when he says, When I was with them, I kept them safe. I watched over them in your name. Let's remember going back to last week that when Jesus says, Watching over in your name, that the concept of in your name means all that God is. When we do something in the name of God, uh, when we are protected and kept safe in his name, it is simply referring to the fact that everything God is, his nature, his character, everything, that's what we're kept safe in. That's why, again, the Bible says in Proverbs eighteen twenty, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who run to it are set safely on high. You see, the name of God reveals all that he is. And so Jesus here again is saying, I kept them and I watched over them in your name. He says, not one of them was lost except the one destined for destruction so that the scripture could be fulfilled. Now, this verse is not teaching that Judas didn't have a choice, that somehow God destined Judas for the end that he experienced. What it is saying is this, because Judas rejected Jesus and did not follow Jesus, even though he physically followed him, he never gave his heart and life to Jesus, that he was destined to suffer loss. The word here means to suffer ultimate loss, to perish. It's the exact same word that Jesus used back in John 10 when he says, my true sheep will never perish. They will never suffer ultimate loss. But Judas suffered ultimate loss. Why then, Jesus knowing, because he's God, Why did Jesus, knowing that Judas would one day betray him, why did Jesus choose him to be one of the 12 disciples? Because I think God, one of the reasons, and I don't pretend to know all the reasons why, but I think one of the reasons why God did that is he wanted to show us and give us a great example of someone who could be close to Jesus and yet not a believer or follower of Jesus. Someone who walked with Jesus and walked with his followers, but yet never gave his heart and life over to Jesus. And and the Bible clearly, I think, teaches that Judas never was a believer. If you go back and read about Judas in John chapter 6, there never was an instance where as long as Judas was one of the twelve, For three years, there's never any indication that Judas really gave his heart and life to Christ. And because he never did that, Jesus says, I didn't lose him because I never had him. He was never one of my sheep. I never lose one of my own. But because he rejected me, he's going to suffer ultimate loss. It really is so sad. I don't want to dwell on it. But what Jesus is basically saying is all human beings who ultimately reject Jesus, they suffer ultimate loss. That's what eternal separation from God is. It's, it's loss. You see, it is, that's what perish. There's no such thing in the Bible as annihilationism where God just does away with, with people. No, they will exist forever, but they will suffer eternal loss because of a lack of relationship with God. So anyway, He goes into that. But then notice in verse 13, but now I am coming back to John 17, 13. Now I am coming to you and I am saying these things in the world so that they may experience my joy completed in themselves. 
Back in verse 12, Jesus wanted his disciples to know that they were safe. They were secure because he was their shepherd. They weren't going to perish. He was going to watch over them and keep them safe. The second thing Jesus wanted them and us to know is he wants us to know his joy. Because notice here that the joy that God wants us to experience is really his joy. Notice that. Don't miss that when he says that they may experience my joy. You see, God wants us to have his joy. It's not something that you and I can manufacture. It's a gift from Jesus to his followers, to his sheep, when we fellowship with him and when we abide with him. Another thing I want you to note, though, notice the word completed. That means it's progressive. That means that you and I, as we grow as Christians, as we learn to fellowship more with Jesus, as we learn to abide in him and remain in him and commune with him, our joy continually progressively gets more and more. We're more and more filled with his joy. That's what the word complete means. So it is a process. It's part of our spiritual growth, learning to really receive the joy of Christ. The other thing I want you to notice, though, is notice the word in. Joy is not connected with anything external. God plants his joy when we fellowship with him inside of us. That's why our circumstances really do not affect our joy because there's nothing external about joy. God plants his joy within us. And then here's the other point I want to make about joy. Joy, to be joyful, to experience the joy of Christ is really a choice. It's a choice. The Greek word for joy is the word kara, C-H-A-R-A. The Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. So you can see how closely the word joy and the word grace is related. And the reason I point that out is because really to experience God's joy, we have to respond to his grace. And his grace is that supernatural enablement and influence that he gives us in our life. And in order to experience the joy of Jesus, I've got to be open to the grace of God and let God's grace work in my life. And the reason why then it's a choice is because as I respond positively to God's grace, I will choose joy even when my circumstances say otherwise. For instance, when Paul told the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, famous passage, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, folks, that's a command. That's not, well, we rejoice in God when everything's going well and everything's going well in our life and and we're happy and all that. No, we rejoice because we choose to rejoice because of God's grace operating in our life. First of all, to bring us to salvation and even bring us into a relationship with God. And second, just to know that his grace is working in my life. I want to read this passage from the book of Habakkuk. I don't want you to take time to turn there because... um, I got a lot that I want to share tonight, but I want to show you even from the Old Testament how this concept of choosing joy, even when everything was going wrong, was something that's consistent throughout Scripture. Habakkuk says this, When the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, when the olive trees do not produce, and the fields yield no crops, when the sheep disappear from the pen, and there are no cattle in the stalls, 
I will rejoice because of the Lord. I will be happy because of the God who delivers me. See, Habakkuk was saying, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life, that I can always choose joy because of the Lord, because of the relationship that I have with Him that cannot change, because I'm secure and safe in Him, and because His grace is being poured out into my life at all times. So John 17, Jesus wants us and His disciples to know that they are safe. He wants us to know His joy. Then verse 14, I have given them your word. Jesus wants us to know the word. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. And the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world. See, in the sense of our allegiance or their allegiance to Jesus, we don't belong to the world. If a Christian is trying to belong to the world, if they're trying to be accepted in the world and you're a Christian, you're going to be awful frustrated. Because Jesus clearly says a Christian should not even feel like they belong to the world. The world in the New Testament describes a system that is alienated from God, that is hostile to the cause of Christ, and that is actually satanic and demonically directed. It is is opposed to everything that God wants to do. And so to say that, you know, I feel at home in the world... Especially when the Bible says as Christians, we should never really feel at home in this world. We are just sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are just passing through this world to our real home, which is heaven with God. That's where home is. Home is not here. We should never feel like we really belong here. We are aliens in a sense, the Bible says. Peter says. So, they do not belong. But he says... Just as I do not belong to the world. Then verse 15. I'm not asking you though to take them out of the world. Now there's a lot of Christians that wish Jesus would have prayed something different right there. Jesus, why didn't you pray to the Father? As soon as they get saved, zoop, there they go. Because again, Jesus has a mission for us. How can those who don't know God, how will they ever come to know God apart from our witness. Again, as as the Bible teaches, God doesn't have a plan B. His plan, his one and only plan has always been that for his believers, for his church, for his body to go into the world and preach the gospel, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I'll be with you always. It is our responsibility to take the gospel to the world. It's not the world's responsibility to come to church. As one of my spiritual mentors said to me a long time ago, you will never find a verse in the Bible anywhere that commands an unbeliever, unbeliever to come to church. But you have all kinds of verses and passages that tell Christians to get out there into the world and be a light and be a witness. And that's exactly why Jesus says, I'm not telling you, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but... You keep them safe from the evil one. Same word that Jesus used about him keeping us safe up there in verse 12. You watch over them. You keep an eye on them. Don't let the evil one get the best of my sheep. 
And so this is the challenge. This is why fellowship with Christ is so important because, again, we are to be in the world but not of the world. We are to be distinct. We are to be different. And Jesus is just getting ready to talk about that again in verse 16 when he says, they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. So in verse 17, the next thing Jesus wants us to know is that he wants us to be consecrated and dedicated. The word set apart or sanctify there in verse 17 simply means to cleanse, to purify, to renew, producing consecration and dedication. That's what the concept of being set apart unto God or sanctification is all about. And again, the word purity in the Bible doesn't necessarily talk about, say, moral purity as much as it talks about undilutedness. The idea is that there's nothing that there's nothing contaminating, say, something. It is pure. And, and so the idea there is that the purity deals with our focus, with the fact that we are sold out to God. And there's not all these different things that's taking the place of my relationship with God in my life. Then that's a pure relationship. That's one that leads to consecration and dedication to God. And the reason why Jesus needs us that way is because that's how we're going to be effective in our witness to the world. We're not going to be effective as the church, as God's sheep, if we're not consecrated and dedicated. But when we are, Jesus can take a few followers, just as he did in the book of Acts, and the Bible says he can turn the world upside down. Because it's not the quantity of believers that matters, it's the quality. It's the dedication and consecration of believers. And notice how we are set apart, how we are sanctified. We are sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. Going back again to why the Bible, the word of God needs to be so important in our lives. We cannot truly get to a consecrated, dedicated state as a believer apart from the word of God. That's what Jesus prays. And he wants us to know his word so that as more, as the more we know the word and really more than just knowing the word, obeying the word, following the word, living the word, we become more and more consecrated and dedicated to the cause of Christ. And then Jesus says, verse 18 Just as you sent me into the world, Father, so I sent them into the world. Notice, sending the disciples into the world, sending us into the world, comes after sanctification. God says, I need them to be consecrated. I need them to be dedicated. I need them to know that they are going to be safe and secure. Because I'm sending them into a hostile world. The world hates them. So they've got to first know that I'm going to watch over them and keep them safe. That's why people like Peter and Paul could be thrown into prison. And it really not bother them. Because they knew that they were prisoners of the Lord. They knew that the Lord had them there for a purpose. And they weren't freaking out about their safety and security. Because they knew that they were doing what God wanted them to do. And so they needed to know that they were safe and secure in God. They needed to know his joy because there were going to be many circumstances when they were going to go out into a world that hated them where the joy needed to be there regardless of what they were going to go through. They needed to know his word because through his word, they were going to become more and more dedicated and consecrated And then they needed to know that there was a mission God had for them. And God has the same mission for us. He wants to send us into the world to be lights 
to be a witness, to give our testimony. By the way, really interestingly, I thought, the word sent here in verse 18 of John 17 is the word apostello in the Greek, where we get the word or concept of apostle from. Now, technically, there were only a few apostles, but the principle or the concept of being an apostle is really for every Christian. Every Christian is to be a sent one. Every Christian is to go into the world and be a witness and be a light. And the Greek word apostello really is two different words. It comes from the word apo, A-P-O, which means literally in motion. God wants us to be in motion. He wants us to go, okay? We can't be a witness just sitting and isolating ourselves and just holding up. He wants us to go, be in motion. But then the word stello... S-T-E-L-L-O literally means to be prepared, fitted, and equipped. So even in the word apostello or apostle, it's the idea that as we go in motion, as God launches us, going back to our concept here at the Oasis, love, listen, learn, launch. As God sends us, as he moves us, as he directs us to go and talk to somebody or be somewhere or whatever, that as we're in motion each day of our lives, God says, don't think that I haven't given you what you need. I'll prepare you. I will fit you. I will equip you. It's a whole concept of being an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then verse 19, I set myself apart for their behalf. In other words, Jesus saying, I dedicated myself to the mission God the Father had for me so that I could motivate them and impact these disciples to get out there and go into the world as well. That's the impact you and I can have. As you get more and more dedicated and consecrated to God, as you go out there in the world and try to be a witness, do you realize how encouraging that will be for other Christians? How other Christians can get, in a sense, a fire from the fire that you have in your belly for God? How contagious our faith and our, our, our you know, life with God can be for others. Jesus is saying the same thing. I so dedicated myself to God because I wanted my focus on God and living for God to spill over to these men that have walked with me for three years. Now, verse 20, I'm not praying only on their behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their testimony. Again, don't miss the fact that the word testimony here literally means the words they speak. Don't discount the fact that the Bible says we have to be balanced in our witness. Yes, our life has to back up what we say, but there does come that moment where it is the word of God that transforms and changes people's lives. Yes, we have to live it. We have to live our faith. But we also, at times, when God gives us the opportunity, we have to be willing to speak our faith. And really, all that means is to share the word of God with people. Romans 1.16. For the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation, Paul said. See, there is inherent power in the word of God. And we cannot discount the power that this book has. That's why I tell Christians, you want to just be a witness to maybe somebody that doesn't believe? Just share some scripture, as long as they're not like really like edgy and offended if you did that. Send them a card and include in that card a couple scripture verses. 
including a letter, some scripture. Because we don't realize that just by them reading scripture, how God can use it in their life. God did the same thing with us. 1 Peter 1.23, Peter says, You were born again, not with perishable, but with imperishable seed, by the living and enduring Word of God. 1 Peter 1.23. And so the Word of God has been, has been given power by God for the use of sharing it with people and changing lives. And that's exactly how we came to faith as well. Now notice, Jesus wants us to know something else. How important unity is to Him. Verse 21, he wants us to know all that we get up to this point so that they will all be one, experience the supernatural unity that exists within the Godhead, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. That's how important unity of believers is to Jesus. It's one of the last things that he prayed for. And notice one of the reasons why. I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Don't miss that. Jesus says, you know, one of the most powerful witnesses to unbelievers is when unbelievers can look at the church and say, for instance, just for the sake of our talk tonight, the Oasis, just this local church, one of hundreds in the area. Jesus is saying, you as the Oasis church, will make a great impact on your community around you that doesn't believe if they see that you are one. Because the, there's no unity in the world. There's no agreement. That there can, because it's a supernatural thing that God does whenever a group of Christians can come together, even though we're very different. We come from different backgrounds. We even have different views on some things in Scripture and stuff. But when our love for Jesus Christ is more important to any of us than anything else and that we love Jesus, then Jesus says they'll see the fact that you're not going to let some other things drive a wedge between you and that God can bring you together as one and that's going to make an impact on them. Because they're not, they're going to scratch their heads and go, how can that happen? I don't see any group of people that can come together. We certainly don't see that in our country anymore. In politics, nobody can come together to get anything accomplished. Well, guess what? That's really not unusual because it's really hard to get people of anything together to agree on something, to be able to work together towards a common goal. That's hard to do today, if not next to impossible. But Jesus says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through my word, through what I'm doing and through the love that you have for me, You can come together and you can come together as one and you can accomplish things that will really make an impact on those around you. Then he goes on to say in verse 22, the glory you gave to me, I have given to them. Wow. Jesus wants us to know we've been glorified already, even though our bodies haven't been glorified yet. In a sense, we share his glory. What's he mean by that? Well, the word means a condition of blessedness. A most exalted state. In other words, Jesus saying, I want my followers to know how blessed they are. I want my followers to know the exalted state that when the Bible says that God has raised us up to heavenly places to be with Christ, just who we really are in Christ. And instead of sort of going through life, not thinking much of ourselves, Jesus says, I want them to know that the glory that I had, I shared with them. And that they are a blessed people. Do we live as if we're a blessed people? Do we live as if we have been raised to an exalted state? 
Jesus said, that's one of the things I'm praying for. The glory you gave to me, I've given to them that they may be one. Back to that again, because that's really important to Jesus, just as we are one. I think one of the things that breaks the heart of Jesus, who prayed so much for unity amongst his people, was when his people just bite and devour each other. Because that's not the heart of Jesus. He wants us to be one. I in them, verse 23, and you in me, that they may be completely one. The word completely means brought to the finish line as one. So again, that the world will know that you sent me. Again, repeating that. Here's how the world will know. When Christians come together, lay their petty differences aside, love Jesus, love each other, and come together as one. And then he says, And you have loved them just as you have loved me. I'm going to wrap it up in just a moment. A couple more verses. Father, verse 24. The next thing Jesus wants us to know is the hope that we should have. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. I'm going to stop right there. Jesus, first of all, wants us to know the hope that we have of the future good that's awaiting us. That we get to be with Jesus in heaven for all of eternity. But you know something else is that as you and I look at that verse, or part of that verse, Jesus is also saying, I want them to know that I want to spend eternity with them. I want them to know that I want to be with them for all of eternity. Can I tell you? I don't even think I would want to be with me for all of eternity. And yet, talk about love that we sang about. Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, said, I want them to be with me so that we can be together. Wow. He wants us to know that. That's how much he cares about us. That, that's how much he wants that fellowship and that relationship. And then he goes on to say, so that they can see my glory that you gave me because you love me before even the creation of the world. So righteous father, even if the world does not know you, I know you. And these men know that you sent me. I made known your name to them. So again, what's, God, what's Jesus want us to know? He wants us to know the name of God. Again, embodying all that God is. He wants us to get to know the nature of God, the character of God. Because it is in knowing the nature and character of God that we will really begin to understand who our God is. And in that, that's only going to benefit us. Which is why then he goes on, on the heels of this to say, and I will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them. The other thing Jesus wants us to know, his love. How much God loves us. And not just dearly loves is what the word means. He wants us to know how much we're loved. That's what Paul prayed for the Ephesians when we studied the book of Ephesians. One of Paul's prayers for the Ephesians is, I, I pray that these saints in Ephesus will begin to know the length, the depth, the height, and the width of God's love for them. It's a process. It's something that's part of our spiritual growth. That the more we get into the word of God, the more we walk with God, the more we understand his character and his nature, the more we understand his unconditional love for us. 
which is such a foundation. And then he ends with this. Not only does he want us to know the love that you've loved me with may be in them, but that I may be in them. He wants us to know his personal presence with us. The kind of presence that says he will never leave us or forsake us, but will be with us forever. Jesus wants us to know that. That every step of the way of life's journey, we never take a step without our good shepherd walking right beside of us. And if we feel like we are alone and Jesus is not there, it may be because we walked away from Jesus. Jesus never walks away from us. And even Jesus said, if one of my sheep wander away, I will leave the 99 who have not wandered away and I'll go after that one. I will run after them because I don't even want to let my sheep that that don't want to be with me for a time in their life and who walk away from me to think that somehow I've walked away from them. I will pursue them because I will be with them and I will be in them forever. This is the heart of Jesus. If a Christian really wants to know what's the priorities of Jesus, what's he want more than anything else? What are his desires? What's his will? We say we want to know the will of God. John 17 is a great passage to turn to for Christians to know this is your will, God. This is what you prayed for even before you went to the cross. I leave you with this. If you woke up tomorrow in your house... And you were able to overhear in the next room, Jesus praying for you. How would that change the way you approached your day? Guess what? He is. Jesus is praying for you. The Bible teaches us all through the word of God that right now in heaven, one of Jesus' main ministries is interceding for you and I. Hebrews 7.25. He is able to save those to the uttermost completely, bring us to the finish line, because the author of Hebrews says he always lives to make intercession for us. I love the word intercession there in the Greek language. It's a word of passion and intensity. In other words, the Bible is teaching that when Jesus prays for you and me, it's not like, God the Father, would you would you take care of Jeff and would you No, I mean he loves me and you so much that when he prays for us, he prays with passion. He prays with intensity. He prays out of an unbelievable heart of love for us. So, tomorrow and even maybe tonight when you go home, I want you to think maybe as you say your prayers tonight, as you talk to God, that God is praying for you. And tomorrow when you wake up, know that God is praying for you. And whatever you face tomorrow or the rest of this week, know that Jesus Christ is praying for you. Let that knowledge make a difference in your life starting today. Hey, before I close in prayer, next week, May the 1st, we start this series on the leadership, looking at the life of a growing leader, David. And I'm just 
I'm blown away by the things that God is doing in my life through this study. I, I can't wait to begin to share it with those who are going to be there next Tuesday and even for those that have to listen on podcasts or whatever. I would just like to encourage you to start praying once again for our Tuesday night Bible study. Just pray that God will lay it on people's hearts to get out if, they, if at all possible and to come and that we'll see an increase in, in faithfulness and attendance to our Tuesday night Bible study and that we'll see God use our Tuesday night Bible study to bring us to a place of even greater consecration and dedication to Him. I think the things that God has me uh, to share with you in the coming weeks about David is just its just good stuff. It's stuff that has just changed my life. And I, again, I can't wait to share it. So I just want to encourage you not only to pray about it, but get the word out. Invite people. Talk it up. Get out there and say, hey, if you're not doing anything on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock for a couple weeks, why don't you come with me and, and listen to this these messages on David and how he grew into the leader that God wanted him to be. I think it's just so important for our church right now. I think this is what we need to continue to get to that point that God wants us to get to as he further grows us and takes us down the road. So anyway, thank you guys again. Let's pray. Lord, we we just we want to take a moment at the close of this day and the close of our Bible study tonight and just thank you for just loving us so much, for caring about us in such detail that, Lord, to not even think too often about the fact that you're up there in heaven just praying for us and, and not in a casual way, You are really praying for us. You want us to stay faithful. You want us to keep growing. You want us to get connected. You want us to live and experience that abundant life and your joy and all these things. And you want your the very best for your kids, for your children, for your sheep. So Lord, when we get discouraged and when we get down and when life is beating us up and things are happening, help us to remember the truth of John 17. And help us to remember that you are praying for us to stay strong, to hang in there, to keep going in spite of what may be happening. That you're going to pray for us to choose joy even when everything else in our life may be going against us. That you will pray for your grace to be poured out. So God, I... I pray that we would just be mindful of that. To visualize the Son of God kneeling in prayer for us, each of us. So Lord, go with us tonight. Continue to knit our hearts together as a church and continue to help us to grow and become who you created us to be. And I thank you, God, for the faithfulness of these people, for their desire to want to grow And be stretched spiritually and just get into your word each and every week. Lord, continue to do a great work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, have a great...